Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. Man, may the next 10, may the next 10 be better than the first. That's a significant prayer. If God would, by his grace and for his glory, do that, uh, we would have a lot to celebrate. And so I want us to talk about what that might look like. I want to start with some goals I have for us, those of us who call Exodus home. I've just got four real quickly. Uh, first, that we would be faithful followers of Jesus wherever and whatever. That we'd be faithful followers of Jesus wherever and whatever. Where we live, work, and play. If God keeps us here or moves us on, that we'd be faithful. Whatever. Whatever we're facing. Difficulty. Death. Whatever we're facing. Delight, whatever we're facing, that we'd be faithful followers of Jesus. Second, that every marriage in this church would be an enduring marriage. That our marriages would be so beautiful that others want to be married because of them. Third, that we would have launched children. Man, what a stewardship those children are that God has blessed us with. They are precious gifts from God. Can you imagine if all of them came to know Jesus and were discipled and then were then launched into the world like arrows for the glory of God? And then that we would be deployed disciples, that every follower of Jesus who calls Exodus home would live into their gifts and passions as deployed disciples for the glory of God. That's what I want for us, those of us who call Exodus home. And then I've got some specific goals for Exodus as a whole, that we would grow in these things. Four things. That we would grow in gospel doctrine and culture. Gospel doctrine, what we declare. Culture, what we demonstrate. That we would grow in that. That we would grow in, a, in being a discipling community. That we would make disciples who are growing into disciple makers. Our, our calling is not just to make disciples, but to make disciple makers what we want to see, that we would grow in our holistic worship and how we value Jesus with all of our life, our time, our talent, our treasure, that we would grow in our sacrificial mission, how we serve God in our zip code and in the world. I want to talk about the world first. We're, we're engaged on, um, on three continents. Uh, we want to be engaged with a specific partner on every continent except Antarctica, okay? Not doing Antarctica, but we want to be engaged... Uh, no, we're not. But we, we want to be engaged on every continent in the next five years. That would be Europe, the ones we need. Europe, South America, and Australia. That We would engage, be engaged with a specific partner on every continent. And then in our zip code, I would love for us to plant at least one church from this church in the next 10 years. I read a study, and some of you are not going to like what I'm about to say. But I read a study this week that suggested that parts of Gaston County are projected to grow by 130% by 2035. Some of you are like, man, I'm moving to Bessemer City. I'm going to stop saying all those bad things I've ever said about that place. I'm moving. I get it. That means in the next 16 years, there'll be twice the number of people living here. I want us to be faithful to reach them, and we'll need more faithful churches to do it. I want us to increase our generosity and giving to all these. Um, Every dollar you give, 10% of that dollar goes out of this church immediately. Okay? We want to grow that from 10 to 15 in the next five years. And I'd like to see all of us do this. I'd like to see us do all this together. Together. And if we're honest, there's some challenges we're going to face as we think about and look at the next 10. 
I'm not talking about organizational challenges, uh, though they are very real. I'm not talking about financial challenges or leadership needs. I'm talking about something much harder to address. Some of us are dealing with fear as we look into the next 10 years. Man, we're, we're, we hate change. <laughs> uh, we just hate it. Um, and, and we don't even know what Exodus is going to look like in the next six months, much less 10 years. And it can feel overwhelming. I want us to think about a fear of growth. Um, we've, we've heard from some of you. I saw it on your faces our first Sunday. Um, people walked in and were like, Last week we were in this little room with the people, and I thought I knew everybody. Now I don't know everybody. You woke up and your church was big. We're not big, but you felt like your church was big. And that's caused some, maybe some anxiety, maybe some internal struggle. Because you're like, I know, I know that we should reach people, but now it's different, and I don't know. And sometimes we can forget that for us to be a part of Exodus meant that someone sacrificed what Exodus was for them so that it could be what it needed to be for you. Every time, every time we grew at all, someone sacrificed what Exodus was for them for it to be what it needed to be for you. And if we're going to be faithful in the next 10, we will have to do the same, and that can be scary. Now, for some of us, we're not dealing with fear, really, but there's this sense of weakness and just an awareness of what God's called us into. And you're looking around going, how are we going to get all these people in community groups? Like, my house is already full. I can't handle another kid jumping on my couch. Like, what's, what is going to happen? Some of you, you're, man, you're serving, you've been serving faithfully as a community group leader for a long time, and you're like, I thought I was going to get a break. And now we need more groups, not less leaders. So what are we going to do? And, and you can just feel this, this sense of, what am I going to be enough? Man, as leaders, we've talked about, man, are we growing with this organization? Are we growing so that we can lead well in this? And then some of you, you've been approached by people to serve, and you're like, do you know who you're talking to? Like, are you sure you want me to do this? You know, And there's this sense of there's no way I can step into what you're inviting me in. Get after it, buddy. We gave up one train for like 150 of them. It's just a blessing. So, so thankfully, though, like when we feel this sense of fear and, and uh, weakness and, and anxious about all those things, thankfully, we're not the first followers of Jesus to feel those things. Okay. In Matthew 28, verse 16, um, we read this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, we know the rest of the story, right? But think about, think about where these disciples are and what they're feeling. Their world had been turned upside down in the span of a weekend. I mean, in the span of a weekend, their world was turned upside down. Their leader falsely accused, publicly killed in the most horrific manner ever devised. 
And now they hear something they never expected was going to happen. They've heard that he's been raised from the grave. Like as much, Jesus said that over and over, but they never expected it. That's why they went to the grave on that Sunday to prepare the body for burial. They did. They expected to find one, but he was alive. And now Jesus has invited them into this mission that might have felt overwhelming. Make disciples of everybody. And to these followers, he gives them, and by extension to us, he gives them two things. He gives them our mission, and he gives them his promises. We're going to start first with our mission. Look at verse 19. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, the only verb in the sentence is make. Go is actually, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. English nerd moment. Go is actually a participle, which means it should be translated as you are going. And the verb, the command is make. And so the mission we're called to is to live lives so that as we are going, working, living, playing, being neighbors, being friends, as you are going, make. We are called to make disciples wherever we live. And so what we're called to do is to participate in God's work in the world of making disciples. And there's things we can do. There are things only God can do. Only God can change a heart. And when we're called to make disciples of those who do not want to follow Jesus, we better lean in on what only God can do. Because we can pray. We can share the gospel. We can love. We can demonstrate and declare all we can. And at the end of the day, only God can bring dead people to life. And we're called to participate with him in making disciples. That's our mission. And then he gives two uh, participles that, that describe the making. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's what it looks like to make a disciple. That word baptizing them, that is taken from the textile industry. We're in an old mill that used to make hose. This word baptism was uh, used when they would dye fabric. They would take the fabric, they would immerse it in the dye so that it was changed from one color to another. And, and the word was also used to speak of being identified with something. And so what we are to do as we are going, we are to make disciples. What does that mean? It means we are to share the gospel such that these people fully identify, fully immerse themselves in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then baptism that we observe now is a, a symbol, a public profession of that identification with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so if we are to make disciples, we are to see people baptized, both identifying with God and then publicly professing that through baptism. Second thing we're to do is we're to teach. Now notice it doesn't say teach them a bunch. This isn't simply head knowledge. It says teach them to observe. So we're not just to teach so that they learn. We're to teach so that they follow. That's what it means to disciple someone, to teach them to observe what? All that I have commanded you. Not just the parts you like. We're, we're not about making Thomas Jefferson disciples. I don't know if you know this. Thomas Jefferson took the Bible and cut out the parts he didn't like and kept the parts he did. 
Now, we laugh at Thomas Jefferson and we ridicule him, but we do it all the time. We, we like verses <laughs> um, instead of submitting ourselves fully to God in his word. Jesus says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded. That's our mission. And he tells them to do it to all peoples. That's not daunting at all for these, this small band of Jewish believers to be, then be called to go to the nations that they kind of didn't like very much and that didn't like them at all. And Jesus says, nope, as you're going, you make disciples of all the peoples. I didn't come to be a Messiah for a small band of one ethnicity. I came to be a, uh, a, a Messiah for a multi-ethnic people from the world, a people from every tribe and tongue and nation, Jesus is saying. That's the mission he's called them to. It's the one he's invited, invited us into as well, to live our lives every day so that we make disciples of everyone around us, baptizing and teaching them to follow Jesus. So I wonder what they were experiencing in this moment. I wonder, I wonder when they heard that, I wonder how much of their heart was like, does he know? I mean, does he remember the last three years? I mean, we've been stupid. Like, does he remember some of the stuff we did? I mean, Peter called him Satan. I mean, this, we, does he remember? Can you imagine the fear and anxiety and sense of weakness they're feeling as they look at this mission? And so Jesus gives them two promises that kind of sandwich the mission that he gives to them and by extension to us. So all who embrace our mission from that day until now, he meets our fear and weakness with his precious promises. And there's two of them. First one is that he's all powerful everywhere. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Notice, all authority, all of it, in heaven and on earth. That's called a mirrorism where you take two opposites and join them by an and. And it means, every, and you, it, it's taken to mean everything or everywhere. He's saying, all authority everywhere, Jesus says, belongs to me. Now, there's a sense in which this has always been eternally true for Jesus. Jesus is the eternal word of God. Uh, John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so there's a sense in which Jesus has always had all authority from, the, from eternity past to eternity future. But Jesus says, all authority has been given to me here. This eternal word took on flesh and dwelt among us. He lived a perfect life of obedience to God. He took on humanity without ceasing to be God. He healed the sick. He, he calmed storms. He spoke with authority. And so there's a sense in which Jesus always had all authority. But here he's saying, it's been given to me. And what he's saying, what he's getting at is that there is something Jesus is claiming from his death, burial, and resurrection that has been given to him something he's earned in some manner. Jesus is reminding us that in his death, burial, and resurrection, he's earned what was already his by defeating every foe that might clamor for some sense of authority. He defeated sin. 
Jesus, in his death in our place for sin, took every drop of God's wrath for those who trust in him. He took every, every drop of God's wrath on the cross, and he paid for it so that sin has no power or penalty over those who hope in him anymore. So when he says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth, he has authority over sin because he paid for it. And the, and the one that we might think, Satan, what about Satan? Colossians 2 says he made a public spectacle of him on the cross. He took away every power this being had. You, you understand Satan's a created being. He's not co-equal with God. He's He's a creation of God that God could wipe out in a moment and one day will consign to hell forever. And the Bible tells us that if you are in Christ, Satan has no power over you. His only power to was to accuse. And Satan has nothing to accuse you for that Jesus did not already die to forgive. Jesus has, Satan has nothing to accuse you for that Jesus did not already die to forgive. So his power is taken away because Jesus has all authority over the evil one. And then you might think about, what about death? What about death? Jesus went into the grave and beat death and walked out. And so even that enemy is defeated for those who hope in him. And so Jesus stands and says, all authority in heaven and on earth, everywhere has been given to me because I beat everything that might claim it over me. And Jesus, the risen one, stands in front of those followers on that day and these followers on this one and says, I'm all powerful everywhere. There is nothing stronger than me. Your sin is not stronger than Jesus. Your shame is not stronger than Jesus. Your accuser is not stronger than than Jesus. And your final enemy, death, that we will all one day face if Jesus tarries, is not stronger than Jesus. He's got all power everywhere. Now, the next promise is in verse 20. It's in verse 20. Not only is he all powerful everywhere, he is always present all the time. And it says in verse 20, and behold, now older, older versions, I think King James, maybe NIV says low. I used to think that was me, which was unwise for me to think that about the Bible. But, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Always. I am with you to the end of the age. There is never a moment of our lives when Jesus is not with us. And I love Psalm 139. I love Canvas and the Clay that we sang earlier. Uh, Another portion of Psalm 139 says this. It's going to be on the screen. It says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall, shall I flee from your presence? Now, David writes this. It's a psalm attributed to David. He's not asking how he can get away from God here. He's not like, where can I go to get away from him? Like that's, that's not what he's saying. He's, he's rejoicing that the answer to that question is nowhere. There's nowhere I can go to get away from you, and that's good news. He's reminding himself himself of this thing, and then he starts thinking about it. He starts just rolling it around in his head and kind of working out the implications of that truth. He says next, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Again, he's using these words poetically 
to say, there is literally nowhere I can go in all of creation that you are not there. He's, he's just reminding himself that God's there. And then he starts thinking not about where, but about when. He says this, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. He's thinking poetically about this time from dawn until sunset. And he's saying, all day long, God is with me. Last year, um, our family drove from here to Dallas, Texas. Okay? It was horrend- a horrendously bad idea. Okay? We left before the sun came up here, and we saw the sunset in Tyler, Texas. We still had a couple hours to drive. Okay? By we, I mean me. All right? Um, and it was the summer equinox, which meant it was literally the longest day of the year. All right? And the whole day from when we saw the sun come up in the east about Clemson till we saw the sun go down in Tyler, God was with us. That's what David's thinking about. That if I, if I wake up in the morning and I see the sun go down, you're with me. Like anywhere, any when. That's what David's thinking about, that God's always with us. And then the next verse is really, really interesting. It's not about a location. It's not about a time. It's about an attitude. He says this, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. Notice, he says, if I say, so he's still thinking about the implications of I can't go anywhere where you're not. And I've, I've thought about where, I've thought about when. Now I'm thinking about my internal conversation with myself. If I say to myself, darkness is going to overtake me. There's no light. Everything's dark around me. If I say that to myself, if my attitude goes there, if my perspective goes there, he says, God, you're not threatened by my darkness. Like, you're not intimidated in my darkness. Like, um, darkness is not dark to you. Night's as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. So he's saying, regardless of my perspective, regardless of what I'm thinking, regardless of what I'm feeling, regardless of all those things, God is with me. Now, the only way that's good news is because the one who is always with you is the one who has all power. Like if he's always with you and he's a weakling, that's not helpful. But the one who is always with you has defeated every enemy of you. And so when you're called on this mission, we're called not to go out and get them. We're called to Jesus and then to go with Jesus into the world. And he's got all authority and he's always present. And so this truth of Jesus' power and presence was so real that it radically transformed this group of weak, fearful disciples into courageous, ferocious disciple makers. I mean, think about this. Don't, don't miss this. Like in less than 50 days from this moment, Peter who denied Jesus three times, 
because he was afraid, is going to stand in Jerusalem and say, men of Jerusalem, repent and believe. Why? How do you explain that? Because Jesus is alive, because Jesus has all authority, and because Jesus is always with us. That's why Peter could stand in that moment and do that. And so Exodus, as we look into the next 10 years, whatever we are facing, and none of us knows what that is. Like, we've got plans this afternoon, right? We've got plans. None of us knows what, that is, what the next 10 years hold. None of us. But what we do know is that every moment of every day that we have of those next 10, Jesus will have all authority and Jesus will always be with us if we hope in him. And so, whatever you're facing, whatever we are facing, whatever the next 10 years holds for us, we can look forward with hope. We, we can look forward with hope. Now we've got air raids too. Like, I don't know. I mean, the most important thing I'm going to say today, and we got to, don't have a train anymore, but now we got helicopters. We can look forward with hope because Jesus is alive. And he's not just barely making it. Like, he's got all authority and he's always with us. And so whatever the next 10 years holds, we look forward with hope. Because he paid for our sin. He defeated our accuser. He defeated our final enemy. And now he invites us to walk with him. And that's the kind of hope that turns weak, fearful disciples into courageous, ferocious disciple makers. And if you're our guest today, or maybe you've been around Exodus for a long time and, and you don't know that you have the hope we're talking about today. Because this hope is available, it's not automatic. I need you to understand that. Like, it's available, it is not automatic. Like, you weren't, you weren't born with this, you gotta be born again to get this. It's free, you don't earn it, you don't deserve it, it's a free gift. And... You have to bow your knee to Jesus to get it. Because what we're born with is this thing in us that wants to act like we've got all authority and wants to act like we're the one that's going to get this done. And if we're to have the kind of hope that we need to see through the next six months or the next 10 years, what we've got to do is lay down that sense that we have authority and submit to his We've got to bring all of our sin and failure and rebellion to him and trust him to handle it, knowing that we can't. And what's available to all who hope in him is a hope that's big enough. It's a hope that's big enough to see you, not just through the next 10 years, but all the way into eternity. And it's available to any of us who will repent, who will confess our sin, who will fall at the feet of the risen Savior, trusting him and him alone. 
And I can't think of a better way to spend the next 10 years than walking with Jesus. And so if you're not yet a follower of Christ, man, we invite you to have the hope that we've talked about today. If you are a follower of Christ, I invite you to rejoice in the hope that we have today. Because it's a good hope. It's not a fool's hope. It's a true hope. And church, we can look forward into whatever we're going to face Whatever we're going to face, we don't know, but God does. And we can, we can look forward with hope today that the next 10 would be even more amazing than the first. Let's pray to that end. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord. We are so grateful for all that you've done. We're so grateful that you have things yet to do. And we want to be a part. We want to be a part of what you are doing in this church. We want to be a part of what you're doing in this community. We want to be a, a part of what you're doing in the world. So Lord God, would you remind us of the greatness of Jesus, that he died in our place, that he rose from the grave, that he is, has all authority and is always with us. And then would you give us courage and, uh, and, and power to walk out this mission as we live our lives, to live in such a way that disciples are made, that, that even disciple makers are made. Would you do that in our lives for your glory and yours alone? We ask this. Amen.